You are listening to EE Times On Air. Joining us today is Sally Ward-Foxton, the reporter from eetimes.com and the podcast host of AI with Sally. We celebrate EE Times' 50th anniversary, highlight memorable stories, and discuss Sally's latest project, Words to the Wise, an inspirational compilation of interviews featuring the top CEOs in the semiconductor industry. But first, let's take a look at the episodes released this week by EE Times On Air. Power Up, hosted by Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio, features interviews with the world's leading power electronics experts to explain how the technology is evolving and what those changes mean for every aspect of the industry. In his latest episode, Maurizio talks to Mark Davidson, CEO of Odyssey Semiconductor, to discuss gallium nitride device design for high voltage. Odyssey Semiconductor has developed a method to achieve area-selective doped regions in GAN, opening the door to the realization of vertical conduction devices analogs to the highly developed the device geometries that are standard in silicon and silicon carbide, but with all the superior materials properties of GAN. In this podcast with Mark Davidson, CEO at Odyssey Semiconductor, we will discover more about these features. We made the announcement that we were able to um, build a 1,200-volt vertical GAN FET, and that was really the stated objective of our company. We had already shown the world that we could build a 650 or 700-volt vertical GAN FET, which is valuable in the market. If we look at you know silicon carbide 650-volt node, um, there's a lot of business and there's a lot of growth there. But of course, in addition to that, we wanted to get to 1,200 volts. So we've announced we've done that, and 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 that was a, a significant accomplishment for the company. Um, so yeah, so we're fabricating samples. We'll put them in packages by the end of the year, do our internal testing, and then pass them to the initial customers. I'm, I'm committing the three customers at the beginning. Find this episode and more at eetimes.com slash podcasts. Subscribe to EE Times On Air podcast by clicking the subscribe button at the top of today's episode page or searching EE Times On Air on all the major podcast platforms. Over the past 50 years, EE Times has covered the most important innovations in the electronics industry. Some made big impacts at the time, while others provided the foundation on which future innovations were built. EE Times has helped the industry navigate the stories of those innovations, mergers, and mishaps. Today, I'm joined by EE Times reporter Sally Ward-Foxton to discuss the importance of journalism in the semiconductor industry, some of her memorable stories, and EE Times' latest e-book, Words to the Wise, an inspirational compilation of interviews featuring the top CEOs in the industry. Sally, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me on the show. So even though it seems like way longer than this, you've been with EE Times for about five years now, but you're a seasoned electronics industry journalist and have covered practically every aspect of the electronics industry over your 18-year career. I think what you're most known for, of course, is your coverage of AI and of the chips that go into those systems. But you've covered such a wide range of topics all across the industry. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about how you see the importance of journalism within the electronics industry. 
So obviously, as a semiconductor industry journalist, I think semiconductor industry journalism is hugely important. <laughs> Safe to say. Um, okay, no surprises there. <laughs> E-Times really is about the business of the semiconductor industry. And we have been doing this pretty much since the start of the industry for 50 years now. Like with any business where there's hugely technical subject matter, and there are also very specific variables or drivers related to this business, there is absolutely room for analysis. And I think EE Times does really well here, and we have done for 50 years. So if you want to know what's going on, but if you also want to understand why things are happening, that's where EE Times really shines. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that, that's something that I've always really appreciated about your coverage. You don't just report on what's happened. You give us the insights into why we should care about that. And I think about an example that's in the news currently, Arm deciding to sue Qualcomm. Qualcomm is one of Arm's biggest customers. And who sues their, one of their biggest customers? <laughs> and right before they're about to do an IPO. Seems unusual. <laughs> it does seem a little unusual, right? The whole thing is really related to license agreements between Arm and Qualcomm. And it's all related to a technology that came from a startup called Nuvia. If you're a regular reader of E-Times, you probably know that there's two different types of ARM license agreements. Nuvia had the architecture license. Really, what we're trying to do with a story like this is explain what is the architecture license as opposed to the, the technology license. What is the context around who has that type of license and why? And why did Qualcomm buy Nuvia? And what does Qualcomm plan to do with Nuvia's technology? And, and what evidence do we have for that? There's a lot of detail here in this story, but context is hugely important for ARM. Does suing one of your biggest customers benefit your competitors? They're in this, I won't say war, but they're battling against risk five. Starting a lawsuit like this basically emphasizes how hard it is to develop and certify custom ARM cores and something where they're facing strong competition. So yeah, I mean, if you want to read more about risk five and ARM, this is another story we're following closely here on the E-Times news desk. So yeah, stay tuned. No question about it. When I hear your name, I immediately think AI. That's, I know, your primary area of interest. And the insight that you bring to that when we're talking about chips in particular, I think is something that's really unparalleled. Talk to me a little bit about your interest in AI and how you'd like to cover the manufacturing side. So I'm writing about what the big companies are doing, making AI chips, what kind of chips are they making and why, but also on this kind of new landscape that has sprung up of 70, 80 plus startups all making AI chips and what kind of novel ideas do they have. Today, AI applies to practically every type of electronic system or device. I mean, my washing machine has AI today, <laughs> right? So everything from sensor nodes in the IoT through smartphones to things like networks of security cameras to manufacturing cameras yeah. to robotics, autonomous vehicles, right up to like data center kind of scale of AI and HPC, uh, you know, supercomputers and scientific computing, taking on climate change, developing new drugs, through to Google and Amazon and those kind of companies doing recommendation, which is mm -hmm. social media news feeds, online shopping, the Netflix algorithm, all of those things are powered by AI today. So AI, the nature of the algorithm, the nature of the workload it's basically a whole lot of number crunching, and it really lends itself to hardware acceleration, to hardwiring it into a chip to make it go faster. And that's why it's such an exciting time for the semiconductor industry. Everybody is doing AI now. It's everywhere. 
it really is. The growth is absolutely explosive. I mean, you you were born at the right time to, to be a journalist covering this topic. This feels like really a moment in history, you know, where we have this sea change that is about to occur. One of my favorite stories that you've covered, of course, being a, an audio person, was when you visited with Audio Analytic up in Cambridge. That's a company that works with AI that can identify sounds as opposed to voice. I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit more about that experience of visiting them up in Cambridge. So this is one of my favorite stories. Honestly, just a, a wonderful visit with really technical, really smart people. It's a software company. They make AI algorithms because the algorithms are recognizing sound. They need this high quality data to train the AI algorithms on. So they have a whole big lab set up where they have these rooms with the spiky walls, the anechoic chambers, so there's no echo coming from whatever sounds you're making in there. And that's how they basically separate sounds that they want to record and train their AI algorithms on from the echoes. People describe it as often disorienting. Some people even find it really disturbing and, and upsetting to have no sound. We don't realize how much ambient noise there is around us all the time. And when you're left with just the sound of your own heartbeat and the gurgling of your stomach and everything else. What was that like for you to get to go into an anechoic chamber? It's not an experience most people have. It's absolutely a bit weird. I'm not sure I describe it as uncomfortable and I don't think I stayed in there long enough to hear like my organs working or anything like that. But it is a very strange sensation, very strange feeling being in there. Did you get to listen or create any sounds when you were inside one? <sighs> So yes, I did. And this was super fun for me. Uh, your intrepid E Times reporter went to shoot a gun in the anechoic chamber. <laughs> it's very American of you, Sally. <laughs> I know, right? As a Brit, obviously, this was super exciting for me. Just as a little bit of backstory, the reason you want to record the sound of a gun is, let's say you want the algorithm to go into a security system that detects gunshots. So what you have to do is take the sounds of loads of gunshots and train that algorithm to recognize that sound. But as they explained to me when I was there in the anechoic chamber, the sound that you hear when you hear a gunshot or when you, like me, watch it in the movies, that's mainly echo, actually. Right. The sound that actually comes from the gun is quite a muted kind of pop is the best way I can describe it. But then they take you outside just into the lab, which is like a warehouse, and then shoot the same gun. You hear the ricochets of sound coming from every single surface, which is more like what you imagine a gunshot actually sounds like. Right. So it was a very, very good demo of exactly what the anechoic chamber does and how it works. And then very good demo of exactly how you need to get to the essence of that sound, the actual sound that's actually coming from the gun in order to try and detect that sound reliably. It's an incredibly complicated scenario when you think about, in a real-world application, the number of surfaces that a sound is going to bounce off of. It obviously makes a compelling case or really the need to have an AI-driven system to analyze things like that. Are those in-person experiences an important part of how you approach your coverage? Yeah, it's a really big deal to me personally. I... I'm certainly a people person and I want to meet people in person and I absolutely, absolutely want to see the demo. I want to see it working <laughs> in real life. And it's very difficult to do that over a Zoom call. In the last six months or so, we've returned to 
traveling, which is fantastic for me. It opens up a lot of opportunities. Quite recently, I had the opportunity to visit NVIDIA's HQ in California and got a tour of their building. They have this brand new building called Voyager, which is very, very cool. I was also one of the first people, one first press or analyst, should I say, to get my hands on the the brand new hopper silicon, you know, the NVIDIA chip. I'm just geeking out over yes. here. <laughs> but of course, I went to Cerebrus as well to hold the wafer scale chip in my hand. And it's the size of like, well, it's the size of a dinner plate, basically. So it's something to see with your eyes. I mean, that wow. it was a really big deal for me personally to see that. Something else that you discussed in that episode was the small form factor devices that now are using AI. You mentioned earlier your washing machine has AI, and now we're seeing them even in smaller devices. Talk to us a little bit about some of those use cases. So staying with audio for a minute, let's say you've got some earbuds and you want to do active noise cancellation in your earbuds with the tiny form factor that you have of an earbud and the like nanojoules of energy that you've got in the battery in your earbuds. I mean, the kind of things that are possible in really, really tiny chips now. It's not just about the hardware, it's also about the algorithms and the evolution of those algorithms and how well people are doing on that front. You'd be amazed, actually, at what what AI can do. It's so true. I feel like every day we're hearing a, a story about an AI application that would have been unthinkable just a few years ago. Your new book, Words to the Wise, is coming out as EE Times celebrates its 50th anniversary. And it looks back at industry history And it gives us some really great nuggets of advice that we can all use as we move forward in our careers, individually, and as a whole in the industry. So it really is a lovely book. It's a curated collection of CEO interviews with some of the top CEOs in the industry that we have interviewed for the weekend edition. And we basically pick the best. We've got FDE from Victor Peng at the time, the CEO of Xilinx. We've got Cadence CEO, Anirudh Devgan. We've got National Instruments CEO, Eric Starkloff. We've got NXP CEO, Kurt Sievers. We've got ST CEO, John McSherry. We've got OnSemi CEO, Hassan Al-Khoury. There's a long list of people featured in this book, plus, of course, a whole host of startup CEOs and entrepreneurs. It's a, It really is an all-star list. Right? It's an all-star cast. It's really just incredible, the breadth of experience that they've brought to the collection. So you spend a little bit of time talking about who these folks are and, and how they got to where they are, right? It's it's not just about the industry or about their company's products. That's exactly right. The interviews are basically designed to be part get to know you and part advice slash inspiration. And there are some really inspiring stories in the book. If you like reading about people's career trajectories Maybe you're at the beginning of your own career in the semiconductor industry, or maybe you are planning to become a semiconductor CEO, maybe a bit sooner than that, (laughs) or maybe are you going to do your own chip startup, then you'll absolutely love it. Or even if you're just nosy by nature like me, and you want to find (laughs) out what industry CEOs do in their spare time and what they're reading. Can you share a quote or two from the book that stuck with you? Okay, so one of my favorite stories that is in the book is from Wally Rhines. Wally is today, he's the CEO of Konami, which is a startup that's making uh, AI accelerators, but they they use also the same chip for homomorphic encryption. Wally is very, very well known for being the CEO of an EDA company called Mentor Graphics for a long, long time. Before that, he was on the team at TI that developed the DSP. So long career and absolutely an industry veteran. And we asked him, what's the biggest challenge that you faced in your career and how did you overcome it? 
And here's what he said. When I was 47, the CEO of TI let me know that he would be in his job for at least 10 years. So if I wanted to be a CEO anytime soon, it wouldn't be at TI. The only limitation was I couldn't join a direct competitor because of my non-compete agreement. I joined a software company, Mentor Graphics, as CEO, knowing the company had problems but not realizing the severity. The company had bet everything on a totally new product capability called version 8.0, later referred to as late.slow, and removed any possibility of returning to their older, successful product line when 8.0 became a total bust. It was a long struggle, but we focused on a few things that we could do very well. Developed some key products for physical verification, test, and system design, and gradually moved from desperation to survival to success. And what a terrific success story. I mean, despite the odds stacked against him, I think this serves as a reminder that things that are worth doing are never easy and that absolutely there is always hope. And that seems like it's it's a recurring theme throughout quite a few stories in the collection. There's some really good ones, yeah. Anything that you recall about talking with Victor Peng in particular? Okay, this is from Victor Peng at the time, then the CEO of Xilinx. Here's what he says to people who are thinking about doing a startup of their own. Regardless of the current business or economic climate, I would advise anyone considering starting a company to imagine that it fails five years after starting the company. You have to answer honestly whether you would regret your time spent in those years. Beyond answering that question, it's important to consider the current context. We're living in a time of great disruptions and change. There's a ton of hype around some markets, technologies, and trends. Be sure you have a vision for creating real value, and it's the right time for realizing your vision. You have to get both right, and most people, especially technologists, focus on the vision, but timing's also critical. Now, I think that's absolutely sound advice. I've never started a chip company, but now I feel like maybe I could. I think that's great advice for anybody, any would-be entrepreneurs out there. The last one that I'll share is from Simon Beresford-Wiley. He's the CEO of Imagination Technologies here in the UK. He says, I've been guided by a few underlying life philosophies. A desire to lead a life less ordinary. A view that I only have one life, so I better make sure I make most of it. And then when it comes to life choices, including careers, more often than not, people are constrained by their own imagination. My advice, therefore, is to think boldly, take considered risks, and go for it. I mean, what a great pep talk. If you need a pep talk, this is the book for you. (laughs) One of the themes that I pick up on in perusing the collection is what he mentions there, taking risks. Some of the other ones are, of course, having a, a singular focus, having vision to be able to create insights. Are there other themes or patterns from the interviews that you took away? Yeah, absolutely. The interviews for the weekend edition, we always ask, what are you doing this weekend? And a surprising percentage said that they were working on a home automation system or installing (laughs) some kind of home automation system in their home. For me, this was absolutely fascinating because one, semiconductor CEOs, even of big companies are doing this kind of thing themselves. (laughs) And two, why is it still so hard to install and set up a home automation system? Um, So I think it was, and it's very relatable, right? I think if you're you're listening to this podcast, maybe you're installing your own system right now. So I'm not sure whether it says more about the psyche of the average, you know, tech CEO, or maybe it says more about the state of the home automation industry. I think you can draw your own conclusion (laughs) from that. Probably a bit of both. We also ask, you know, what book do you read again and again and again? Maybe shouldn't have been surprised, but I was quite surprised that quite a few people 
said the same book. It's a management book, From Good to Great by Jim Collins. A classic. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm not a manager, so I had never heard of it. But yeah, I think it is a well-known book. So the CEO of AD-Link, Jim Liu, talks about this book in his interview. He says, there are a lot of great findings around leadership strategy and company culture that he shares. And the one that resonated with me the most is the importance of the mission. It's not about the short term, it's about the long term. What is your future? What is your direction? And how can we make the world better? So I personally, I'm going to go out and buy that book now. I don't know. Manager or not, there's something in there for everybody. There really is. Right. So I think another theme that really resonated is mentors and mentoring. Many CEOs spoke in the highest possible terms about their own mentors, about people who had mentored them throughout their careers. Some people even spoke about mentors that they currently have. So yeah, I think mentors and mentoring relationships are so important. I think the message is, you know, if you're new to the industry, you don't have to do it alone. Find yourself a mentor. And if you're CEO, you should definitely consider mentoring someone because it can make a huge difference to that person and to your business and to the industry as a whole. Really does make the world go round. Sally, I cannot thank you enough for joining us today, talking about these insights that you've gained, reflecting with us a little bit about the EE Times anniversary. We genuinely appreciate your reporting. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I had a blast. Words to the Wise is a free EE Times ebook available to download at eetimes.com slash shop. While you're there, check out the EE Times 50th anniversary celebration, register for the EE Times education panel discussion, how we can address the talent gap in the semiconductor value chain. This panel will explore challenges and roadblocks, the impact of governmental policies, how universities and schools are stepping up to the needs of the industry, and how the chip industry itself must participate more to meet future growth. EE Times On Air is available through the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us at our website at eetimes.com, you'll find a transcript along with direct links to the other stories we've mentioned, along with other resources. Today's episode was produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Alex Hawley at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Lady Maya Kane. I'm Eric Singer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>